Appendix N Podcast, Episode 30, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, Part 2. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. In a house in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, there lived a man named Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax included a list of books and stories to be inspirational reading for those who feel adrift like a barrel on a river, hoping to find a shore with a mountain full of treasure and no spiders. Here on the Appendix N Podcast, we cut through sticky, tangled threads and find hidden entrances in order to understand these classic works of fantasy fiction. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. Together with my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom, and my guests, we lay bare the dusty secrets of these forgotten tomes and speculate how they may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you are reading along with us and would like to send us your, your comments, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me tonight, as always, is my fabulous co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Aloha. Apparently apparently uh, podcasting tonight from Hawaii. Well, you can say you can say aloha anywhere. That is that is true. That's the beauty of aloha. Most words you have to be in a particular state to say them, but aloha you can you can say from any state at all. And also joining us is Peter Foxhoven from Iowa. Hey guys, thank you. What what's a word you can only say in Iowa? A word that you can only say in Iowa? Probably deep fried butter. Or butter cow. That's something we have. <laughs> Worf folksy. I, I know those words, but not how they fit together in that sequence. Uh, they're both part of the state fair. It's a thing. If you're ever here, you know, during the I, summer. I, I'm sure Bilbo would be would be a fan of deep fried butter. And also joining us from the great state of Kentucky is Lewis Brenton. Welcome back, Lewis. Tennessee, actually, but you were close. Also joining us from the great state of Tennessee is our good friend, Lewis Brenton. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'm very glad to be here. I'll be down editing. Here, down here, we say y'all. You certainly can't say that anywhere else. <laughs> it's well, it's authentic one. here. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Okay. So tonight is our second of three discussions about uh, The Hobbit, and we are pairing the middle portion of The Hobbit with the essay on fairy stories. Uh, This essay was originally uh, delivered as a lecture by Tolkien in 1939 at the uh, Andrew Lang Lecture at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Uh, And uh, Tolkien Tolkien raises a a number of questions and he he gives uh, a number of uh, 
opinions on what what a good fairy story should should be like and Tolkien was was a very opinion opinionated person that is that is one thing I think that we can definitely say say a about Tolkien, he he had his opinions, and he was not shy about sharing them. Can we can we all all agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. At why least would, on this why topic. Would you an, I'm sorry. Why would you have an opinion if it's not the right one, right? Absolutely. All right. So uh, Tolkien Tolkien touches upon uh, three uh, important questions here. What what is a fairy story? Uh, what are the what are the origins of fairy stories? And uh, what what is the purpose of fairy stories? And in in talking about about the purpose, he he spends a great deal of time talking about uh, children in 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 particular, and then um, what we as adults can can get out of out of uh, fairy stories. So who who wants to answer the first question? What what are fairy stories as Tolkien defines them? Well, I thought it was interesting that he engages on that question by ruling out quite a few things that I think I would have said I would have said prior to reading this are parts of fairy stories, and uh, and limits it pretty tightly. I thought to uh, to a commentary about very very specifically humans engaging with the fairy land in some way. It seemed like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he uh, rules out things like like uh, Lilla, li, Lilliputians in uh, Gulliver's Travels, and the the um, uh, he strangely enough he he includes the Morlocks from uh, from 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 the Time Machine because the Lilliputians are presumably a thing that are are on an island somewhere at least at least according to the story Gulliver's Travels. They're they're presumed to be a real race on a real island somewhere that we could just get on a boat and go and go and visit, whereas the the Morlocks are, are separated from us by by time travel and that's that's as as good as magic I think is is basically basically the gist of 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 what Tolkien says. Right. Well, it seems significant that when he draws up this distinction about um, what is and is not a fairy story, that what he goes, I mean, in my opinion, this goes in with the Morlock thing, what he explicitly classifies as not a fairy story. So any tale involving dreams, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a plausible explanation for what's going on. Any travel tale doesn't count. And then beast tales don't because it's not um, like in, I don't know if it, he kind of explains it as not being dependent on human observation of this sort of different realm, this like magical realm. And so for him, I think you're exactly right. The time machine, because it is not really explained how it works and because you're so far in the future that it's not something you can really travel to with distance, um, that even those evolutionary changes, which end up separating like the Eloi and the Morlocks from each other, make them these like distinct kind of quasi magical species from Tolkien's view. It seemed at least. Does, does anyone else want to want to add a add a comment, Jeff? Well, the impression that I get from looking looking at what he specifically says. Actually, no, I'm going to ret- I'm going to retract retract that. I do not want to say what what I was about to say. <clears throat> I think that's a good idea. <laughs> 
So instead, I will pass. Yeah. It's a wise man who knows when to stop talking. Good move. So uh, we've 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 talked about what what fairy stories are are not. Does does anyone want to want to say what fairy stories are or or what they think fairy stories are from from Tolkien's point of view? It seems that he uh, he's suggesting that there has to be an interaction with between a human being and the the realm of fairy or maybe in light of the title of our book the perilous realm mm-hmm. um and so that the human is either going there and experiencing it as a foreigner or i think he, if i remember right it's been a little bit since i read that part but i feel like he he would allow for people coming from that realm and interacting with us in our realm as I don't know, representatives, ambassadors, visitors, whatever we want to say about it. Mm-hmm. Right, but there needs to be people in it. There needs to be people in the story who act like people, as opposed to right. people who act like crazy fictional characters for no reason. Right, and I because... Think that's, a, that's, a, that's an important and key distinction for him. And I think I think that's because if you, if you don't have that, then, then you don't have the sense of, of, of wonder. Right. If it's if it's a bunch of of talking uh, rabbits just just having a picnic, I mean that's that's normal for 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 them. You you need someone from 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 the outside who comes into this you know rabbit picnic or or fairy dance or whatever to be to be uh, ensnared and ensorcelled by the by the by the terror and the and the wonder of it all. No, I don't think that you need that. It's just that the category of stories mm-hmm. that he's interested in talking about right now is the one that includes that. I don't think that Tolkien had or would have had a problem with Watership Down, uh, you know, the novel about the rabbits. Right, but I don't but, think but he just, would have, just would have to, said it doesn't deserve to exist or anything like that. Cer- certainly not. Certainly not. But no, just but just as if, for for his for a tale to be a fairy story, it it it. it it needs it needs uh, fantasy. It needs it needs magic. It needs it needs uh, wonder, and and I think he break down he he tries to to break down what elements in a story cr- create that. I think. Yeah, uh, G.K. Chesterton said that a um, uh, something like a man, uh, the story of a man in the land of dragons is an exciting story. The story of a dragon in the land of dragons is not an exciting story. Right. You, I mean, you might as well just tell a, a normal story about, about people just doing nor, nor, normal people things then. Right. So he, I think, I think the, the question of, of the, the origin of fairy stories is, is not so much interesting for our discussion today. Uh, I mean, he, I think he mostly talks about um, what what other critics have have said about uh, fairy stories and and um, whether whether or not he he agrees with them um, he he introduces the phrase uh, sub subcreation and and I, I don't know if, if this if this is the the only uh, place in Tolkien's writing where that where that term appears I, I it's basically um, Tolkien re- refers to to what to what he he does in creating Middle Earth as subcreation, and I've I've seen this this term come up in uh, biographies and and other writings about Tolkien, 
and the 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 long and short of it is that um, in in uh, Judeo-Christian re- religion, we are we are said to be made in God's image. God is a creator. He created created us. We are basically miniature gods. God is basically a a gigantic um, um, omnipotent person. And so, just as God uh, creates uh, man, too, also also. Uh, Creates, uh, you know, works, works, works of art, works, works, works of, of, of fiction, and in in doing so, we are we are sort of emulating uh, God. Uh, if I if 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 I can um, sort of, I mean, at least at least that's that's my my own uh, un- understanding of 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 the phrase subcreation as Tolkien Tolkien uh, uses it. Um. But I think what I really, really want to get to, I think, I think the 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 important part of this of this essay is when Tolkien talk, talks about the the purpose of fairy stories. You know, what 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 can we as modern readers get out of it, basically? And who would who would like to, to touch touch upon this this topic? Well, maybe not in broad strokes, well, but um, I was really fascinated by his discussion of of um, secondary world, right? Primary versus secondary world, mm-hmm. um, where the key to legitimate fantasy, it seems to him, outside of these other things like being escapist or whatever, but for it to qualify really as fantasy, it seems to be there's some sort of consistency in the way the world is being built, right? So that the assumptions of the primary world, which is the one in which we live, right, that if I drop this book, you know, I have enough constant conjunction to assume that it's going to hit the ground because of, you know, forces, gravity, whatever, all of these things that are part of my understanding. And the secondary world is something that's able to divorce itself from that understanding, but be something that you can wrap up, not with true belief necessarily, but with being able to lose yourself in the story because of the consistency in the way the world is built. So good DMs, when they're doing their homebrew, you see that all the time, for instance, where there is, you know, some sort of logically consistent reason for things happening. Um, Or I think about going back through World of uh, Greyhawk by Gygax, where he even goes and talks about like these different groups of humans and how they you know, got across his, you know, the, is it Orth? I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's, and how pr- they pronounced Earth. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's cool. pronounced well, ju- just like Earth. Yeah. That's awesome. That makes it way easier. Thanks. Well, yeah. and, and anyway. Then, and then so later, you, later on when, when he was no longer with uh, TSR and, and he created the Dangerous Journeys role playing game, he created another fantasy setting that was also called Earth, but it was spelled A E R T H. So he was he was really he had a he had a thing and he stuck with it. But continue Peter. Oh okay. Um so uh you know with him even going so far as to explain why there are these different groups of people and how they get across earth how they like make different kingdoms and things like that that shows a lot of internal consistency that allows us to get really wrapped up. So even when you have an environment where you have mythological creatures or something that's supernatural, as long as it's part and parcel of the world and presented in such a way that's consistent with that secondary world, it allows you to have that, what we, I guess what we would call today a suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. like when we watch a good movie or something like that. 
that would seem to be the only real standard by which you can judge a subcreation is the extent to which you are able to to believe in it to project your mind into the imaginary space and as, and suspend your disbelief uh, to think of it as a as a real thing but but why should we as as adults once once we've gone through through the exercise of creating this secondary world uh why like why should we even even do this like what is what does tolkien say is the is the is is the purpose of all of this huh. well amongst other things he, he... i'm sorry go ahead no no please okay. i was gonna say amongst other things I think he sees it as morally instructive in certain cases. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, he identifies the fact that it's in these stories. It's often pretty easy to spot the good guy and the bad guy, if you will, and uh, identify good actions and bad actions. And that, and I I don't remember him saying this precisely, but what I took him to mean from it is that metaphor can often be a very strong teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, can can help us illustrate these principles and remind ourselves and instruct our children and, and whatever else these principles discuss these principles through the through story and metaphor and make them more three dimensional and more uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is I'll just go with three dimensional it, it it lets us see possibilities it it, it lets us see other pers- perspectives. Um, I think I think one of one of the words he he uses is re- recovery, which which I th- I think he use, uses to mean that through through fairy stories we can we can sort of regain a sense of wonder in our our own world, Cause, because in in fairy uh, ordinary objects ordinary animals like 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 a horse or you know a a pipe or whatever can take on on magical magical properties sure the world is an incredible amazing beautiful place and trees are buildings that construct themselves and if we really thought about the things around us we would spend all of our time just slack-jawed in wonder looking at one uh one amazing sight um you know, like a penny to the next, a crumpled up piece of paper, and just be constantly stunned by the the amazing things around us. But, you know, because we live in the world, we become jaded. Mm-hmm. Um, we stop paying attention to how, you know, fundamentally amazing it is to be able to have a coffee cup. I mean, made out of, what, mud, sand? You look at sand, you look at a coffee cup, they don't seem to have anything to do with one another. Um, and it's, it's amazing. And yet we all drink coffee all the time. We don't think twice about it. And so what we're recovering is this, this capacity to be, to be amazed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it lets us, lets us see our, our world from, from the point of view of an, of an outsider, just, just as we, as an, as an outsider are going into, into the fairy world. Uh, I mean, it exercises could, those mental muscles. I mean, you could you could say that 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 the fairy world is is just our world, but but certain certain dials are turned up to to eleven to 
highlight very specific things, right? Is that is that more or less correct? I th I think so. He um he talks a little bit about uh, G.K. Chesterton's fantasy. Um, Chesterton talked once about a story. I don't know if he ever wrote it about a guy who decided to set out and discover an exciting new island. You know, a la Gulliver. Right. He sets out from London. His ship gets turned around halfway through. He arrives in London, and because he's expecting to see things exotic and strange. He is uh, constantly marveling at all of the things around him until he you know finds his own his own house and there's nothing more incredible to him than his own bed wasn't wasn't there hmm. there's something about that in the in the in the dream quest of unknown known Kadath? didn't didn't we touch upon oh. that, that very idea Sort of. The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath is kind of a repudiation of that, though, because everywhere that Carter goes in the Dreamlands, people say to him, this place you're looking for is just your, your memory of, of your childhood hometown. And Carter is like, no, no, it's this, this other thing that mm -hmm. I have to find. And he, person after person after person tells him this. He talks to uh, three or four priests, a couple of different kings, and eventually Nilar Toep. And um, yeah, he he refuses to accept it until the the very end of the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I want to briefly touch upon um, the term "you you catastrophe," which which is another word that uh, Tolkien makes up. Uh, but he basically you 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 catastrophe is 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 Tolkien's world, sorry Tolkien's word for the the happy ending, the the sense of. It, extreme joy that that you get from from re reading a, a fairy story and he, well it's the thing that makes the happy ending possible right right it's the it's the fairy showing up to turn a pumpkin into a coach for Cinderella it's the the eagles arriving pretty much every time the eagles arrive yes <laughs> yeah yeah and he connects that idea um uh, with he marries this idea to his idea of subcreation and the fact that he talks about at the end of this essay that the the if you allow the term the the Christian myth mm. and how the the you catastrophe and that is the the birth of Christ into the world mm -hmm. and uh, and then within even even a subcategory of that within the incarnation story of Christ the you catastrophe is the resurrection it's the the turn of events that points us towards the happy ending. The unexpected thing, right? It is. It is. It yes. is a a man who defeats man's great ancient enemy, which is which is death. Basically, that's 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 at least my my spin on it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I I mean, I think I think lots of Tolkien's stories, um, death and and fear of death, and and courage in the in the face face of, of that fear is a, is a is a theme that underlies a lot of Tolkien's writings. Yeah, I, my mind immediately goes to the paths of the dead. Um, but that's just one example out of out of many. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. And the fact that the ring preserves your life indefinitely, you know, um, mm -hmm. many things mm -hmm. like that. Well, and 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 the fact that um, Numenor's great, great folly was was that that their their kings began to fear death, even 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 though death was was the gift of 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 their their creator they they didn't un, 
understand it and therefore they were they were uh, uh, afraid of it and it and it led them to uh, open open rebellion against against the Valar. Mm-hmm. Right. But anyway, that's that's getting away from um, the Hobbit. So we're we're going to talk about uh, the middle chapters of the Hobbit from the Bjorn chapter all the way to chapter eleven on on the doorstep. There's a lot of good stuff in right. these chapters. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of stuff that uh, on on reading them again uh, after after many years, I'm I'm really sorry that that the movie just messed up all of these things <laughs> so very very badly. Um, yeah, this section was probably the least well served by the uh, by the movies. Assuming you're willing to accept the premise of an enormous action scene involving Smaug and the dwarves inside the uh, kingdom under the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But we're not we're not talking about the films. We're talking about about the book. So um, I I wanted to pair this section with uh, on on fairy stories because. Here, here's where we, we get the first real good look at uh, Tolkien's Tolkien's elves, the the elves of Mirkwood. We we, we briefly saw elves in chapter three, a, sh- a short rest, but that I mean that chapter was really really short. It was like ten pages long, and here we we get we we, we get to spend more time with with these elves. These elves are very very different, um, and and I would I would argue that. Um, both of the elves, both of the types of elves that, that we get in the, the 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 Hobbit, are are very different from the elves that we would finally get in the Lord of of the Rings. Um, these elves, the the Wood Elves of of Mirkwood, uh, have have a lot more in common with uh, myth- mythological fairies of of England and and Scottish lore. Than, than the elves that that show up in Tolkien's la- later writings, right? I mean, we we get uh, fairy fairy lights, fa- fairy dances. Uh, they they live under underground, which is which is uh, reminiscent of the um, uh, uh, sort of uh, barrows that, that 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 fairies in in England are said to in inhabit. Uh, and at, at the time that Tolkien was writing this I've, I've, I've said before that he he sort of thought that this was t- that this was taking place during the Silmarillion so the the elven king in Tolkien's mind was Thingol and the forest was Doriath and and those of you who have read read the Silmarillion know what what that is right it's been a long time since I read the Silmarillion I honestly don't remember but I believe you man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in uh, in the history of of the Hobbit, um, there's there, there there there's a very clear paragraph that 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 didn't make it to uh, final pub- publication where we're talking very clearly references the, the 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 three kindreds of of elves which which he calls the the high elves the 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 deep elves or or gnomes at the time and and the sea elves which later became the Vanyar the Noldor and and the, and and the Teleri. None of which has anything to do with the Hobbit. I, I just want to show off how much much of a Tolkien nerd nerd, nerd I am, uh, so, so that I so that I can <laughs> stop talking. Who who wants to tell me their their favorite part about this this whole scene in in Mirkwood 
and the elves and the subsequent escape. My favorite observation about it, um, and this this holds true, honestly, across the entire Lord of the Rings epic for me is to watch the hobbits level up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in this in this center section, Bilbo is really leveling to use D and D terms for it. Mm-hmm. He is really beginning to develop competence, uh, both a competence that I think surprises himself because he can't even believe he's doing some of this stuff while he's doing it. It seems like, and uh, yeah. I think he's just as surprised as anyone else to see a spider fall dead at his feet. And then the, this the dwarves is it's his turning point. Surprised to see that too. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, it, it's Bilbo's turning point. You know, in a, in a sense, after the encounter with the spiders, he's already proved himself a hero, and he no longer has anything to prove. Uh, in the way that he did over and over again, have something to prove. Um, in the in the first half of the book, right? He he no longer feels like he's like he's dead 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 weight. In fact, he 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 starts to feel like he like he's he's the one who who has to get the dwarves out of out of out of out of out of out of trouble all 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 the time. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Right. Well, when he's when he gets out of uh, when he gets away from Gollum, past the goblins, out into the wild, and the dwarves are not immediately there. His his thought is maybe they're still they're still down there under the mountain. Do I need to go back and try to find them? I really don't want to do that. Um, conversely, after he's uh, taken out the. Uh, taken out the spider and he, he understands what's happened it just it seems that he doesn't hesitate it, he doesn't pause to even think about it it's uh you know rescuing the dwarves is the thing that he's going to do mm-hmm. in the in the in the uh un, unpublished ma- manuscript there's there's even even a part where he uh, sort of sort of like uh, theseus on on the isle of uh minos he he basically takes a takes a strand of s- spider thread and and uses it to basically find find his way back to the to the path again. So I Rat, Ratliff makes makes the point that this this is is the second of three times in this book that Bilbo will be alone in the in the dark, right? And these are these are sort of his his trials, his 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 hero hero trials. And it's 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 almost like once he's on his his own and has to think for himself. He he just falls back on good old fashioned hobbit sense. Well, I've I've got to do something. So let's let's sit and think it think it through, and let's just do the most logical thing. I mean, it, it it's like I I made made I I thought to myself as as I was reading this, Bilbo is meekest in this story when he is serving di- dinner guests. Well, he becomes yeah, he becomes progressively less meek over the course of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, um, he's he's more afraid of of what what the dwarves are are going to do to his to his uh, his carpets than than he is of uh, monsters, oddly. And he 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 seems to develop a a maturity a lot faster than say Luke Luke Skywalker. Well, to be fair, the uh, A New Hope takes takes place over the course of maybe a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hobbit takes course takes place over the course of uh, many months. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I mean, even even over over the whole the whole trilogy. I mean, it's it's not until like like the final movie that uh, Luke Luke is is 
speaking confidently and and sort of sort of acting like a like a like a hero. It's it, it's also in- if you say so. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 not a Star Wars podcast. Uh, it's, yeah. This, yeah. This is not what we're here to talk about. I I also thought it's it's interesting that that Bilbo is, I mean he he's basically an an adult like like un, unlike a lot of typical uh, fantasy heroes he's he's not a farm boy right he's 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 a he's a grown man he's he's already wealthy so like he doesn't have to overcome his own. Uh, immaturity he, he just has to overcome his own his own idleness and 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 pre pre, pre preconceived uh, notions I mean he's he's at once both a child because he's small and 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 powerless and and he's an adult because he's old and practical and and concerned with with ma- ma- material things and, and I think that's that's one of the, the reasons that this, this book appeals both to children and grown-ups. All right. So, who else? Who else liked uh, Merkwood? Well, I mean, giant spiders. You know, not to go back to the normal PJ Conan ness, but like, I mean, anytime you have giant spiders or like giant snakes, I'm automatically in. So, I really enjoyed that. And Bjorn. I mean, having a druid, having an actual druid, so mm-hmm. cool. Well, you say Conan, and I feel like there's a there's a line you can draw between Conan the Barbarian and Bjorn. They're they're cut from the same cloth. Bjorn is really enthusiastic about uh, the whole goblin killing portion of Gandalf's story, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he right. recognizes Thorin's name and lineage. Uh, which, why would he? Why would he be familiar with the royal family of dwarves? It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that Bjorn would be into, except that Thorin is somewhat of a celebrity among his own people for his uh, his valor at the... Oh, crap, I used to know the name of it. The uh, big battle between dwarves and goblins that took place before the beginning of The Hobbit, where... Uh, Thorin lost his shield and picked up a club and was hitting orcs and goblins with it. It, it starts and got, with and a, got the epithets. With an, uh, the Battle of Nanduhirion. Yeah, in the, Thorin, in the, in the Thorin dim is a, Yeah, he's a he's a well regarded slayer of goblins, and Bjorn recognizes and appreciates that immediately, mm-hmm. which um, I think kind of speaks to Bjorn's priorities. Right, he's a he's a violent uh, man in a way that pretty much nobody else that we've seen, except for you know maybe the trolls and the goblins and other explicitly villainous characters, mm-hmm. um, he's violent in a way that none of them are. Yeah, sure. well, and, and he's, he's also scary for... to both the good guys and the bad guys, which is different than you know he in that sense because mostly we've seen good guys, bad guys, and here we've got the this almost. I almost want to call him like the Punisher from Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's equally scared of him, and he is just a boiling bag full of implied violence that could go off at any time. And and if they don't meet his terms, they'll be on his the end of his berry wrath. <laughs> well, the, the 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 he's a he's a personification of the violence of nature in that sense, right? You can't mm-hmm. you can't reason with with the storm. You can't reason with the angry bear charging you for. Um, you know, invading his his beehives uh, in the same way, and yet and yet he's also a veg- vegetarian, and and he and he talk talks to animals and 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 treats them like like 
like like people. I mean, he's he's really and he only, lives in a house, right? He's he, he's really only interested in being violent to uh, monsters. I think. Um, so I mean, Bjorn's a really interesting guy. Uh, his his original name was uh, Medwed in the in the in the in the manuscript. And he's he's kind of a unique uh, character in in Tolkien's le- 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 legendarium. I mean, we, we don't really encounter anyone else who's able to turn into an animal. I mean, we're we're briefly told in uh, the Lord of the Rings that that Bjorn has uh, pat- passed on, and his his uh, children have have sort of uh, grown into a s- small little little uh, nation unto to themselves. But we we really don't hear very much much about them again. It's sort of like he's the special guest star. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really fit into the Hobbit. Yeah, he's you know in the way that he's sort of like Mork on Happy Days. <laughs> uh, sure, <laughs> sure. Well, uh, Rat Ratliff actually, I mean, for for this short little little chapter, uh, Ratliff goes into quite a, a lot of detail. Uh, he he talks uh, briefly about how all of Tolkien's uh, uh, children were uh, liked liked bears. Uh, they they. They had uh, collections of teddy bears as as uh, children, and um, prior to this, uh, Tolkien Tolkien wrote the Father Christmas letters, which if, if you haven't seen 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 the Father Christmas letters, they're amazing. Basically, Tolkien would write a letter to his children every year, pretending to be Father Christmas, which is the English uh, Santa Claus, and they and. It would come with with these elaborate uh, stories and il- illustrations, and uh, the the North Polar Bear was was a very prominent ca- uh, character. But as as for as for Bjorn him himself, a a giant man who turns into a bear, uh, Ratliff refers to the story of. I want to pronounce this right, Bothvar Bjarki, who is a character who appears in the Lost Bjarkamal. Which, which is a poem that hit, is, we, we, we only know about it, be, uh, uh, about it be, be, because other writers wrote about having read it and summarized it. Um, and let me see if I can find, find the summary. Uh, Bothvar is, is one of three sons of an unlucky prince who, rejecting the improper advances of his stepmother, a, a, a lapish witch, was turned into a bear by the evil queen, a bear by day and a man by night. He begets triplets on a childhood sweetheart before being killed by hunters. The eldest child is, is, is only half human, the middle one human save for a distorted foot, and the youngest, Bothvar, fully human at least in, a, in appearance. Eventually, Bothvar grows up, avenges his father, and sets out on a heroic career, two of his greatest deeds being the transformation of a coward into a hero and the slaying of a Grendel-like beast that haunted King Hrolf's Hall. Hmm. So aside aside from uh, being an, an interesting footnote, it, it also highlights... Um, Tolkien was, was very interested in, in uh, lost or, or missing or little understood elements of our linguistic and literary history. He he liked he liked showing off. He he liked philological in in jokes, and and uh, this this was exactly the the sort of story that that attracted his his attention. He he apparently tried to um, 
uh, write it out as 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 the short story Selick spell, which was which was never never published. Well, interesting. That's what I was wondering about. I was really curious if Tolkien had written about Bjorn elsewhere because I wasn't aware of it. And uh, this guy's just begging for some more backstory, man. Begging mm-hmm. for it. I think he's the most interesting character in the whole book. And uh, I I was disappointed to find what little I could find in my own library about him, and I was curious what else is out there. Well, if you are interested in the Selic spell, it is found at the end of like the uh, translation of Beowulf that came out recently by Tolkien. Oh, is it? So okay. I'd... Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Peter. And that translation's amazing. Like, and I, I'm, I'm, this is a side, I'm a, like, devout Seamus Haney translation of Beowulf guy, but this one was just great. Like, the lyricism of it's still really there. Tolkien outdid himself. All right. Well, I'll 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 have to read it. I've 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 got it on 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 my shelf, and I've I've never cracked it open. Huh. We we also get a a very brief uh, shout out to uh, Radagast in this in this chapter, um, and Ratliff manages to turn that into a twenty five page essay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the history of the Hobbit is a very interesting book if you just want to lose yourself uh, learning all about the minutia of Tolkien. That's awesome. I I, I got to pick that thing up, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, I think he eventually concludes that uh, Radagast was named after uh, Radagasius, uh, king of the Goths, or sorry, Rad- Radagasius. I mean, I'm, I'm basically distilling a, a, a 25-page essay into into the most the most per- pertinent facts. But <laughs> it's it, it's it's also interesting that uh, most, if not all, of the names in the Hobbit are are not in Tolkien's invented languages. Like none of them are Sindarin or Quenya. I mean, all of all of the dwarves' names come from. Again, I I can never remember the name of, of that one Nordic um, story that 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 begins with with a V. But they they oh, the Volsung saga. The the what now? Is it the Volsung saga? I think so. If I I can't pronounce it, I or I I couldn't pronounce it if I if if I tried. But um, definitely in the poetic era, right? right? Like the the names of all these guys. Right, like all the all all the dwarves' names and Gandalf come come from come from that. Um, I mean, the the Elven King doesn't doesn't have a name. He's just called the the Elven King. Yet yet another interesting footnote. Hmm. All right, does, does anyone have anything more to say about about Bjorn? I'm curious. I. I, I would really have liked like just a good old fashioned mathematical dude was this tall, you know, because uh, I, I hadn't caught on in the book until this time. The, the, the comment that Bilbo, the observation that Bilbo makes that he could walk through his legs without touching the, the garment that came down to his knees. So he's got to be just enormous. I mean, he's got to be. What three six nine twelve mm-hmm. twelve to fifteen feet tall? I'm guessing. Yeah, it's it's one of the frustrating things about about Tolkien is, is that he he sometimes leaves out uh, very important details, like what was the color of Legolas's hair? That's a thing that that gets debated a lot. 
did did the Balrog actually have wings? If you if you want to open up a can of worms, go on to any Tolkien forum and and ask whether or not people think the Balrog had had wings or merely looked like it it had wings. <laughs> Interesting. <sighs> Jeff, what 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 do you think? Did the did the Balrog have w- wings or not? The Balrog had non-functional wings. Okay. Like the Mego? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, they were created by Morgoth much earlier than the Winged Dragons, and the Winged Dragons were, um, as I understand it, explicitly Morgoth's Air Force. Therefore, the Balrogs couldn't fly, but they're described anytime they're described, uh, which, again, as far as I know, is only in Fellowship of the Ring, as having wings, ergo, non-functional wings. Gotcha. Well, otherwise, Gandalf's whole "you shall not pass" blow up the bridge strategy just falls completely apart. So. Yeah, but they were they were in a in a tiny cave. I mean, maybe maybe the Balrog just didn't have uh, enough enough room to to to. Um, <laughs> f- anyways, see what see what I what I mean. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, they, they go into Mirkwood and it's, it's, it's very much the, the enchanted forest from your, your classic fairy tale, right? I mean, they, they even have, have the stricture of stick to the path, don't stray from, from the path. I mean, that's very, that's very much, much a fairy tale rule. You know, don't, don't eat, eat the food in fairyland, that, that sort, sort, sort of thing. Um... They they encounter an an enchanted stream. There's I mean there's a there's a white deer. Right I mean you you don't get much more classic fairy lore than 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 a white deer. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, he's leaning very heavily on a lot of a lot of fairyland tropes. There, it's mm-hmm. that's that's clear. And uh, yeah, particularly the don't leave the path, and boy, if you leave the path, if you leave the path, it just all turns to crap in a big, big hurry. Yep, and it it yeah. basically does. Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's that's arguable. Um, this was something that was pointed out by Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, is that uh, when Bilbo and the and everybody arrives at Bjorn's house and they're telling the story, uh, apparently Bjorn says that the the pass that Elrond and Gandalf had been directing the dwarves through uh, was not a safe pass. It was just full of goblins. And by you know getting diverted, um, the, uh, the dwarves managed to make it through, uh, through the mountain in a way that they would not have been able to do otherwise. Similarly, when, uh, when they set out, they're supposed to be on this... Uh, on this path, the old forest road that the that the path through the mountains would have led them to is completely uh, disused. So they have to use this uh, this other path, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it apparently doesn't lead anywhere in particular. If they hadn't eventually left the path and been captured by the elves and eventually gotten into barrels and floated down to Lake Town, it's not clear how they would have gotten to Lake Town. Uh, any other way, right? The, you, could, uh, you could even this see is... this, see this on the on the on the map, right? There's a there's a there's an old forest road, 
and but but they're not on it doesn't, that. They're, it they're on this dotted line elf elf path, right? Yeah, and it and the the mat, the road doesn't go anywhere. It 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 goes to the Elven King's halls and just and just just kind of stops there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know. So and I think I think anyway, when they when they finally like do get to get get to Lake Town, they 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 learn from 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 the men of of Lake Town that yeah, the the east end end of of that path is basically you know a a dead end. So so yeah, absolutely. So uh, in other words, they keep looking out, which is great for them. Well, they 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 have uh, Bilbo. He he who was chosen for the for the for the luck, for the lucky number. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Bil- Bilbo yep. the hero, who who has the great idea to pack uh, all of his friends up in barrels and send them down 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 the river. And I mean, we we learn a, a number of things from from this whole a section that are are frequently glossed over. Number one of which is elves can can get drunk, which was the thing that annoyed me about the Lord of the Rings extended edition, where Legolas and Gimli have that drinking contest. That's right. I was thinking about that when I was reading it this time around, reading Hobbit this time around is, man, that's just totally manufactured. You know, there's, mm-hmm. he wasn't standing on the material of the book very well at that moment. I think, I think they, they also mentioned that this is especially potent, potent wine from Dorwinian. So I don't know. And uh, they're only, they're only more candy. So yeah. What can you expect? They're barely elves. <laughs> That may be racist, man. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it actually. I think it is racist. Morikendi is was considered a racist uh, epithet. Right. These. These. I mean, at, at least when Tolkien was was writing these, these these were were were, were the Sindar, the the Grey Elves. And I, I think I think long afterwards, Tolkien tried to explain where Thranduil and his people came from, and I don't think he ever came up with a very satisfactory story. The uh, the story that I heard was that most of the wood elves were just elves who had been hanging out in the forest the whole time, mm-hmm. but that Thranduil and uh, uh, Thranduil's father specifically was a refugee from um, Minigroth, and therefore he wasn't actually Calaquendi himself, but he knew Calaquendi, and that made him naturally royalty among the uh, among the primitive uh, forest elves. Right, and that's 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 why uh, Thranduil's halls basically end up looking like like a miniature version of of Menegroth of the of the Thousand Caves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But just the uh, the thing that I like about that story is the idea that Thranduil is the Elven King because his dad was in Menegroth. Just having having lived in that city makes you royalty among the elves. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's very obvious that Tolkien thought that this was Menegroth at the time that he was writing it, and then later when he realized it wasn't, he he very quickly had to come up, up with something, and what he came up yeah, with wasn't, it makes wasn't all that. Story. Right. Yeah. It makes for a fun story. It is. It, it's a fun story. He, I mean, he, he, he also wrestled a lot with uh, Galadriel, because Galadriel was, was someone that he came up with for the Lord of, of the Rings, and then he reinserted her into the the uh, Silmarillion as um, as uh, one of one of Fing Fingolfin's uh, 
kin kinsman, I think. I think she's she's his sister or, or something. And and he he wrestled with with the he's idea saying. that that she might have taken part in the in the kin slaying, and he went he went back and forth on whether she did or she didn't, and whether she was to totally clean of it or whether she had gotten her hand, hand, hands dirty. So I mean that that was something I, I don't think he'd actually decided on, but but before he died. It makes for a better story if she participated in the king's in the kinslaying. I think so, but none of this has, has anything to do with the Hobbit, which is what we're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at the end of this section, we we get to Lake Town, and again, uh, contrary to what the movie would have you believe, uh, Thorin and company just walk right into Lake Town and declare who who they are and. Everyone except for the master of Lake Town is really glad that they're that that, that they're there. Right. It's a striking sequence. You know, Thorin is wet and bedraggled and has been in a barrel. Uh, he staggers out, dusts himself off, announces that he is king under the mountain, and all of the uh, all of the men of Lake Town are like, "Wow, awesome! The king under the mountain's back." They they take him at his word. They believe him. They, you know, uh, the narrator says that he looks like the king under the mountain. Uh, he looks kingly, mm -hmm. and that's that's interesting. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and you know, not the he looks so kingly that the that the many, many of the men of Lake Town assume that just like they've entered some kind of uh, eucatastrophe state and the end of the world is happening and all the fairy tales are coming true and they go and they run and they look at the lonely mountain to see if it has started uh, bleeding rivers of gold the way it was supposed to, uh, the way it was according to songs well that's I mean that's that's a power that uh, Ar Aragorn had I mean he I mean ba basically all all Aragorn had had to do was was stand up straight and speak from 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 his his thorax and you know, every, every everyone knew like that. Diaphragm that, is the word you're looking for. Diaphragm, yeah. <laughs> all That's all what. Aragorn had had to do was was stand up straight and speak from his from his diaphragm, and, and everyone knew that 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 guy guy must be be, be a king. There is a hearkening to kind of a divine right relationship with both of those things, though, that there's something inherent about both of these individuals that is kingly, True. right? Like, in the yes. fact that they can just present themselves as such and people buy into it right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is something that I think also failed to translate into the film version of Aragorn, but whatever. I think that's the the presumption in Tolkien is that some people are in some nebulous, difficult to articulate way, just straight up better than other people, and mm -hmm. the Dunedin are better than non-Dunedin. Mm -hmm. The Calaquindi are better than the Morakindi. They're not. Maybe they're they're taller uh, a lot of the time, and presumably this holds true for the the royalty uh, of the, among the dwarves, the the Longbeards, mm -hmm. the heir of Durin. Yep. I think I think it's it's I don't think it's it's not exclusively a heredity thing because right. you know it happened to any elf that that saw the light of the trees I'm uh, but heredity is uh, is a great example of it. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's 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 something that's that's hard for us as Americans to swallow but for for someone growing up in a in a land where where, where there was very much uh social class and landed no no ability and you, and you could actually like see them Walk, walking around, I, th I think it was it was it was much more more a part of 
Tolkien's world. Um, so, anyways, so they 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 get get to town and they're and they're wined and dined, and I mean the the master's fears are are more or less. Le, le, legitimate here. I mean, he's he's worried that these are just some some dwarves who've shown up to say that they're king un, un, under the mountain so that they can get free free stuff. Um, and he's, and they, he's that's basically accurate, right? Right. I mean, right. They're they're they're. I mean, Thorin is actually king, but he's he's kind of lied to them all in the sense that they're not they're not there to get rid of the dragon. They're there to take their treasure from the dragon and get out of there well i think dealing dealing with the dragon in some in some way was surely part of their plan i mean was do you think that their their original idea was that bilbo was going to sneak in and just steal the entire treasure hoard one piece at a time for them well i mean they, you know, every every day he'd go in and he'd come back with a cup and he'd come back with a helmet i think i think i think it, it's it's clear as as we get closer to this point that they really didn't have a plan when they when they set set out but i don't think, think the plan was we're gonna kill kill the dragon i think, think i think i think the plan was we're gonna get as much treasure as we can stuff in, in into a bag and we're gonna go back to to the blue mountains where there are are no dragons and we're, we're just gonna live live happily uh, is it is enough treasure that they can stuff into a bag you know one burglar trip into the kingdom under the mountain when you split it 14 ways and consider that they're they could be working for wages in the blue mountains for an entire year is it really worth the uh worth the trouble if they're only going to get just uh just a little bit of loot i i I think you underestimate dwarves and and their their greed for gold particular particularly their their own gold that that was stolen from them so why would they settle for? But that I mean that defeats your argument though, because why would they settle for just the one, uh, one sack? Surely they want the whole thing. Surely the dragon needs to go. That's that's true. But I, I I'm I'm just saying it's 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 unclear exactly what they intended to do. Yeah, now that's something I would say there that I I would very much agree with Jeff Wynn on is boy, there's a dragon at the end of this journey, and there is no plan. You know, send the halfling rogue is not a great plan <laughs> for for the end of this project. They didn't even want to bring him, right? Yeah, Gantz right. had to talk him into it, right? It's, Imagine Bilbo wasn't here, and somehow, despite all of the ways that Bilbo has saved them up to this point, somehow they make it all the way to Lake Town. What exactly would Thorin and company be doing at this point, other than just getting free stuff from the men of Lake Town? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's worth worth noting that that even even Tolkien wasn't really clear on how the book would end when he began it. Um, I mean, like a, around the time when they they got to Bayorn was was the first major pause in Tolkien's comp- composition of 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 the Hobbit. I mean, I think he he paused for like a year to you know teach teach class and pick you know pick. Picked it, picked picked it up again at at the next uh, summer summer va- va- vacation, and and you you can really see that um, basically after the mist the misty mountains, it, the Hobbit stops becoming a a series of disconnected random en- encounters and kind of starts to go some somewhere. And in and he um Ratliff Ratliff publishes some of of Tolkien's plot plot notes and like 
Like originally, Tolkien Tolkien thought that Bilbo would just you know actually kill kill Smog with a you know with with Sting by by finding the the by finding the secret weak spot. That and, seems seems plausible as a as a way to go and resolve the plot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think I think I was I was in a stage play version in uh, summer theater camp where um, actually Thorin ended up going in and you know stabbing Smog in the in the in the secret weak, weak spot. And yeah. that, you know, the fact that the fact that Bard the Bowman does it is really kind of like Fortinbras becoming king of the Danes at the end of Hamlet, right? He just sort of comes in and does it, and it's like, who is this guy? Yeah, basically. I mean, so I mean, Lake Lake Town and and Bard and and the whole thing with with the 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 thrush were, were not even in Tolkien's Tolkien's mind when when, when he was when he was writing the parts uh, it, immediately prior to this, and all, all all that stuff got got developed later. Did he? I haven't read what you're referring to. Did he come up with the the whole moon letters secret door thing when he was initially writing uh, that first part, or was it a product of the the going back and making the plot work? Yeah, the the I think I think the 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 moon letters and and the map and the key were were in the story from the from 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 the very very beginning. Which is really kind of like. Uh, in keeping with the the idea that he had sort of the vague the vague notion that somebody was going to use the key and sneak in and do some dragon murdering, because mm-hmm. you know, dragon murdering is something that there's a an ample precedent for in you know heroic fiction. Uh, Siegfried kills Fafnir. I think the 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 very s- s- subtle uh, shift shift in in tone. From 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 the you know from from the fairy tale be, beginnings of this of this book, and until until the the the, the end where it it really starts to read like a like an epic saga, I mean to to, to the point where there where there's a giant battle, and and kingdoms are are won won or lost based based on 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 the outcome. I think, you know, I I think when when this came out, like no one had ever really seen anything like like that that before. I mean, certainly not. Not, not the kids reading it. There's a quote in here from C.S. Lewis, and I and I wanna wanna find it. Yes, yeah, C.S. Lewis said it's it's basically as if the Battle of Toad Hall had become a serious heimsoken, and Badger had begun to talk like like Njal. So I mean, it 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 it, <laughs> it starts out you know kind of like like the wind in 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 the willows, and it basically ends up being being uh, the uh, Vulcan saga. Yeah, Twilight of the Gods, you know, or whatever. <laughs> That's fantastic. In some ways, that gets reflected. At least I know in my own adventure design, when you guys are talking about it, it didn't seem it seemed like these little pieces, right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning, a lot of times when I get, you know, you have your map and everything, it's one of the first things that I'll do is in random encounter tables, you know, based on the geography here, what are they likely to run into, right? And so even though you know, like, eh. You got players barking at the door. They're like, "We really want to sit down and roll dice. We really want to play these characters." You may have like some ideas of where the story's going to go. As long as you have those random encounter tables, you can start kind of seeing where things naturally go, like what direction the story is going to take itself, and then sort of try to loop them back in to your larger plot. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, Tolkien. Tolkien is, is is fond of saying of the Lord of the Rings that uh, the tale grew in the in the in in the telling. I, I think I think that's that's true of 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 the Hobbit as well. He he 
started out with with one sentence in in a hole in the ground there there live 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 he started out with with one sentence in in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit and he ended up um with with one one of the greatest uh, works works of literature of all time basically so i yeah i think that we tend to overlook just how uh novel the premise of the hobbit was when it was first published i mean we're we're doing appendix in uh we've we've read a bunch of old uh you know pre currently pre the hobbit uh fantasy mm-hmm. and there have certainly been a few stories that i think kind of fit into the fairy tale rubric the king of elfland's daughter is the first one i can think of off the top of my head right and there have been stories that um that engage in a certain amount of subcreation uh you know the conan the world of conan is uh extremely internally consistent but I don't think that we've seen something as as sweeping as The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And sweeping mm-hmm. feel is kind of a, a weird word to use for The Hobbit, but that's really what it is. It's this whole, the whole world of Middle Earth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, laid out in this travel log. Yeah, you yeah. you you never know where the where where the road's gonna gonna take you. It's yeah. a it's a it's it's a dangerous thing going out your front front door. That's right, and that it just he he is hinging them right. I mean, that this little chapter of history of Middle Earth history is like the the hinge point of major major, you know, historically prophesied, if you will, thousands of years leading up to this. These guys are just are the guys who happen to be standing right at that hinge point, and so they end up getting. You know, they, they just, the dwarves just want to go get some treasure and get their house back, you know, but they end up participating in the meta plot of the universe, if you will, mm-hmm. in doing that. Of course, when you look at all of the weird catastrophe that gets them to this point, you can say it, they just happened to be there with big, massive, sarcastic quote marks around just happened. Sure, that's right. <laughs> they just happened to be standing in exactly the right place when the thrush knocked. They knew that the thrush was going to knock. They just happened to know that because they just happened to be talking to one of the very few people in Middle Earth who could read moon letters. Uh, when, and it just happened to be the very night that the moon letters were going to be visible. Blah, 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 eagles. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. I just really that's feel my the... favorite thing that's happened today. Good job, man. <laughs> But I can't help There's but like, a... feel for the dwarves in this. This is my weakness in as a player character all over. It's like they can't figure out how to get the door open, right? So what do they do? Just hit it, right? If there is, and it, it is who I am. If there is a uh, any kind of puzzle, I'm doomed, right? It's always somebody else at the table that figures that out. Well, my 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 reaction is is they they don't even think of 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 the moon letters. It 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 says quite clearly, stand here at a certain time on a certain day. And and the door and the door will will open, so all they really have to do is is just wait. That's really mm-hmm. all they they have. It's it's not even a puzzle. the The puzzle is is wait. I mean, and, and this yeah. <laughs> Thorin's dad left them very specific instructions, mm-hmm. and uh, he just ignores it. Yeah. Uh, can, can I can I just say like how ridiculous this was in the film? 
when they get to this point and the door doesn't immediately open so what do thorin and company do they, they they say they say oh well we failed we're just gonna go home and then thorin tosses the key away <laughs> isn't that i i, ha, I haven't actually read this chapter because i i misunderstood something but um is that not what more or less happens in the book except for the throw the key away part the dwarves just kind of stand there despondent they, they, they sit stand around there, unhappy for a they while they stand there despondent but they don't say okay we're just gonna go home we we spent a movie and a half getting here, but the door is not going to open. I guess we'll just go home. Oh, maybe that was the point at which it occurred to them they had no plan for dealing with the dragon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then and then in yeah. in the film, Thorin tosses this this key, which is the last thing he has to remember his father by. He basically tosses it off the cliff, and you know it. And luckily, Bilbo catches it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they... he just <laughs> happens to catch it. <laughs> I mean, they were gonna walk all the way back home, just just like you know, in Return of the King, the film, uh, Sam was gonna walk home after after Frodo t- told him him to go home. <laughs> I'm more willing to forget that one. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that at least served you know a character arc. Yeah, well, I mean, Sam had the choice of dying at the top of the mountain or dying at the bottom of the mountain, and Frodo told him to go to the bottom of the mountain to die, so that's what he was doing. <laughs> All right, so basically what we're saying is the Peter Jackson movies are terrible. You should read the book, The the Hobbit, or uh, watch the animated film, or listen to the BBC radio show, or maybe even the audiobook. All of those are I... better than the Peter Jackson films. <laughs> I feel like There's the Peter Jackson re- films have some really good parts in them. There are some really good parts in those movies, you guys. But um, they're, they're, they're definitely uneven. Yes, yes. All right. So does anyone have any, any final thoughts, comments, questions about these chapters? Anything that we've touched upon? From On Fairy Stories to Bayorn to Mirkwood to, to the Elves to Lake Town to the mountain it, it itself actually yeah there's something well, that uh we kind of skipped over that i think is interesting which is bilbo versus the spiders what is bilbo doing the whole time that he is fighting the spiders he is singing and laughing which is bizarre he well, has, he's, he's having some kind of like manic episode right <laughs> singing well, I, I think i think the whole idea is he's, and crazy cob He's he's trying to get their uh, their attention so that but so, he, but so that the he way can... that he picks to do it is so incongruous with everything else that we we see Bilbo do at any time, right? If I was going to go in cold and try to guess what Bilbo would do, it would probably be like throw rocks invisibly, and then they would he would throw a pebble off in one direction, and then the spiders would go in that direction, but he would be in another direction. It wouldn't be just crashing through the underbrush, singing at the top of his lungs, waiting for the spiders to come to him, and then stabbing them. Well, Tolkien, Tolkien yeah. just wants to show off how many archaic words for spider that 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 he knows. That may be that may be a part of it. That may be a part of it. That, yeah, because that, uh, that was my thing. I'm I'm really curious about like the word choice. I mean, he just knows that these words are just really going to vex these fighters, you know. And well, nobody and man, I get it. 
Yeah, that was my my quote of the day, man. Is nobody likes to be called a Tom Noddy, and man, I I grant I, I stabbed a guy back in 1989 for calling me one of those one time, but yeah, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Well, maybe you could you could run for president. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that joke is around. So dated. Back so in Iowa. Yeah, uh, Adder Cop, Tom Tom Noddy, Cobb, and and Lob. Are are all uh, ar- archaic words that either mean spider or they're related to spider in some way. Uh, Tom Noddy, I think, is a hilarious joke that only Tolkien gets that uh, Ratliff e- explains in great great detail. Uh, again, Tolkien was was apparently fond of jokes that really only he got. Uh, c- kind of like me, actually. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, it's uh, it's just a great sequence, and Bilbo is so seems so exhilarated by what he's doing that uh, that it, it really stands out. I think it's sort of like you know the, the the player characters in any given Dungeons and Dragons game. If you take a bunch of non-player characters and you said to them, "What are those guys like?" The player characters. They would say, oh, those guys, those guys are crazy. They never stop laughing. They don't take anything seriously. You can, you know, slice them up, get them down to single-digit hit points, and they will laugh and keep coming. <sighs> nothing, nothing stops them. Nothing phases them. Well, it's, it's, it's highlighted uh, here that, that hobbits basically have a, have a plus 20 to their, to their stealth rolls. So, I mean, Bilbo oh, yeah, knows... Bil- Bilbo, Bilbo is a is a middle of the road hobbit when it comes to comes to uh, hiding with the absence of the ring. I mean, he's he's crazy good by objective standards, but he's only middle of the road as a hobbit. And yet, and yet he can like. He, like like he he he's still knows that as soon as, as he stops singing, he can he can vanish with, with, with without 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 a trace like a like like a ninja. So he's 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 never in any any peril. It, yes, I mean I'm not I'm not arguing with that, and I'm not saying that like it's a bad sequence or anything like that. I'm just saying that it's really it's it's really it's really uh, out of character, or not out of character, mm-hmm. but it shows a side of him that we don't see in a lot of other situations. I like, I, the, I totally I side. totally get you. I mean he's well. I mean look at look at it, at it this way. After after weeks of traveling through this forest, which is slowly driving him and all the other dwarves mad. Having nothing to eat, uh, you know, um, see, you know, being being chased into in into to to the woods by by fairy lights. I mean, he's just slowly going going crazy. I mean, that's that's basically it. Yeah, yeah guys, yeah. I think we should go with that. He's having a manic episode. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's suddenly clear to me now, and I never saw it before. That's that's good. I mean, Peter, well, yeah. Jack Jackson sort of made uh, the first part of Merkwood seem like like it was it was all like like a like a big uh, trip. Um, it made it seem like it was a soundstage. Not real fond of that sequence. Eh, yeah, I mean, I I I thought I thought some some of the some of the weird things he did were were, were interesting, but not in keeping with with Merkwood. But I mean, he he basically made it seem like they were all high on mushrooms while, while they were walking through Merkwood, which I don't think yeah, is quite yeah. what Tolkien was going for. Um, it's an interesting take. Merkwood is a terrible place. You don't want to walk through it if you can help it. Yeah, I mean, pretty we, much. We all know that. Un- unless you're you're an elf. <laughs> or you're the necromancer. 
<laughs> I laugh because I just remembered a bit in The Hobbit where the elves have captured the dwarves and they're like, you know, what are you doing here, dwarves? And the dwarves are like, we're just passing through. Yes, we killed some spiders. Are you mad about that? Are the spiders your pets? Which is just throwing shade. <laughs> <laughs> implying that the elves and the spiders are, are must be friends mm -hmm. <laughs> <sighs> of course that's followed by the lengthy sequence where Bilbo is uh, burgling 24-7 in the Elven, King, Elven King's halls right well I mean he's, sort, he's... Of the, sort of the opposite of uh, what he's doing with the spiders burgling the same house over and over again mm -hmm. well I mean he's he's got got the ring and, and it, it doesn't have its sinister aspect at this point so he can he can wear it 24 7 and just come and go as he as he pleases i think it's it's curious to note that in in the hobbit while bilbo is wearing the ring i think i think it's mentioned that his shadow is still visible whereas mm -hmm. when frodo wears the ring in the lord of the rings that that's not no 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 longer true and i, I is only, that like I, affect part of something that like corresponds to the power of Sauron growing in the world then or uh, I, I think Tolkien just kind of forgot that that I, I I think that's what it is he just he just forgot that detail but anyways okay is there is there anything in this set of chapters that we can apply to Dungeons and Dragons or gaming in general that we have not already touched on that we have not already touched on I can't think of anything how about you guys Peter huh. Lewis they, the the one thing that I see, and this is really more from a PC's approaching a problem scenario, is that, um, you know, player characters, you know, I've joked before that, you know, if you, if you put them in a room full with 10 doors, they're going to tunnel through the floor because that's just how they are, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that just, that's just what my guys do, man. I can, <laughs> I can do anything and they're going to do something completely random that, and, uh, what, the problem solving he brings to the table here is good. You know, it's not now, obviously Bilbo's not our classic action level eight fighter. Anyway, he's going to kick the door in and beat up all the elves and rescue his buddies. But the, the nonlinear problem solving is good mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here from a player character's perspective. All right. So player characters think like Bilbo. That's right. <laughs> All right, I think I think uh, with with that comment, I think I think we we can bring this conversation to a close. Uh, Lewis, where on the internet can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton, R E V L O U I S B R E N T O N, and I also write at lewisbrenton.com. Awesome, and Peter Foxhoven, cromcountthedead.com. And that's correct, sir. All right. And jeffwick.com. Jeff jeffwick.com, yeah, which may or may not be getting updated as uh, when the, whenever this goes live. Listeners, it is my sincere hope that you have enjoyed listening to our discussion. If you would like to add to the conversation, please send an email to the tome show at gmail.com. Put appendix N in the subject line so that the tome show folks know to forward it right to me. Our next episode will be the final part of our Hobbit discussion. We will be talking about The Hobbit from Chapter 12, Inside Information, to Chapter 14, The Last Stage, and the End of the Book. 
We will also be talking about the short story Farmer Giles of Ham, which can be found in the hardcover collection Tales from the Perilous Realm. If you are shopping for these books on Amazon, please vis visit The Tome Show's webpage at thetomeshow.com and use our Amazon affiliate link. We would very much appreciate it. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 30, The Hobbit, by J.R.R. Tolkien, Part 2. Thanks for listening. We're friends. We're friends. Ow.